Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. And I'm Stefan Cohn in London. Every week we celebrate the successes, failures, learning and laughs that go hand in hand with baking for those we love. On today's bonus episode, we'll review our chocolate bundt cake, talk about some desserts to help you celebrate National Hot Chocolate Day, and award our coveted blue ribbon to the dessert that made us thrilled to celebrate National Baking Month in January. So grab yourself some coffee and get ready for some sweet talk. Andrea, back in episode 60, you and I were talking about some of the hot food trends for 2018. And yes, as is often the case with things we talk about on the show or are talking about on our Facebook community, I start seeing those topics everywhere. And this one is no exception. So I was thumbing through my favorite newspaper, which of course, I'm speaking of the Waitrose Weekly. That is the news uh, magazine put out by the uh, grocery store Waitrose here in England. And uh, Andrea, were you a great British Bake Off watcher? Are you a fan of that show? I'm a fan. I'm a watcher. I'm not as steady and dedicated a watcher as I think you and your family are. (laughs) But I do enjoy it. Yeah, my kids especially. Yes. Well, um, there was a contestant, I think in episode, or sorry, in season two or three. uh, Her name was Martha, and she was very young. I think she was only 17 or 18. She didn't end up winning that season, but she has turned her celebrity into uh, cookbooks and and different things. And she has a column for the Waitrose Weekly, uh, and she is doing functional food this week. It is a mango and passion fruit granola bar. And you know, passion fruits are such a big fruit here, much more than than in the States, I think. Do you agree? The minute you said mango and passion fruit, I thought, mango, perfect. We love it. I can get it. And passion fruit, I thought, what does that look like? Is that the one that's all prickly and, and big? Or I don't even know. Yeah, it looks pretty ordinary from the outside, but then you cut it open and it has this kind of pulpy, very bright orange pulpy, kind of mango colored, actually, and then these black oh. seeds, and then you scoop out the mm. shell. And, you know, it's just everywhere all the time here. It's such a popular flavor, and I love it. And I thought this is a great opportunity to cook with that as well. So I might try these. They are actually not um, granola bars, energy bars. So have a lot of other good stuff in there too. Some yogurt, oats, um, coconut, almonds. But again, back to the functional food. And then the second one I want to tell you about was from So Dear Waitrose, they have a weekly newspaper and then they have a monthly magazine. I could just do all of my reading at the grocery store. (laughs) And and then the second one in our functional foods trend is actually a brownie truffle from an L.A. chef. I've not heard of him, Matthew Kenny. And it is a brownie truffle that features hazelnuts, oatmeal, dates, almonds, cacao, coconut, and... 
looks really good. Well, Stefan, once again, proof that we might perhaps be sharing the same brain. I, uh, <laughs> when I was visiting you in London, I loved the Weight Rose Circular as well. And I downloaded the app on my phone. Oh. So I get the monthly notification when they release <laughs> their new monthly magazine. And I just download it on my phone and read it. And sure enough, I bookmarked those vegan brownie truffles. That was the first thing that jumped out at me. And as I was reading about it, I just thought to myself, how funny is this that I have to learn about a recipe that I'm really excited about um, from a baker in LA, which is on the West Coast, right where I live. Yes. But I have to read about it in a British monthly magazine, grocery store magazine. I love this. It's also so Stefan and Andrea because I'm like thumbing through my paper version and you have the app on your phone and you're reading it, yet we choose the same recipe. Oh my gosh. Well, I I think we should both make it then. I think that's a little bit of kismet there. I think we should. And I think it's interesting. I think the title functional food is not very fun or sexy Mm-mm. sounding. I wish they would have come up with a different name for that trend because it actually actually does excite me to, you know, make these mango passion fruit bars, to make these vegan brownie truffles. I mean, I I like the idea of food being nourishing and food being fuel. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think we need to retitle that. So let's let's work on that as well. Yeah. Nourishing (laughs) nourishing nibbles sounds way better. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Okay, done already. You and your your marketing brain has already figured that one out. Okay. I do love alliteration. Yeah, there you go. I like so. that. Um, well, the thing that I wanted to ask about is if you and your family realized when you decided to do a temporary move from Seattle, Washington to London, if you would be moving in such a year of excitement. And did you realize that 2018 would behold such incredible events in London while you'd be there? I have to say no, but, you know, thankfully we are here during what just is shaping up to be a a tremendous year. (laughs) I'm thinking of about two two events. What are you alluding to, though? Well, the first event I'm thinking about is coming up in May, Mm -hmm. and um, I'm pretty excited about it, and I'm guessing all of you guys are talking about it as well. Would you be referring to the royal wedding of Prince Harry to Miss Meghan Markle? (laughs) Indeed, indeed I am. So our Hollywood actress marrying into the British royal family, how fun for you to be living in the city for a royal wedding. I I am so jealous, I can't even tell you. Well, and they're just going to be living down the street, you know, as the crow flies um, when they they are married and and living together. But... um, yeah, that is, of course, huge, huge news here. And it is in the third weekend of May. And what's really remarkable, Andrea, is they have calculated that the royal wedding alone will bring in this astronomical sum. It's like 100 million pounds or 250 million pounds. Or it's, it's this huge amount just on you know extra tourism. But then also all of these things they will create, like Tea towels, figurines, cups and saucers, you know, commemorative, tea tins, all kinds of stuff for this wedding. So, yes. I mean, let's plan right now on 100 million pounds plus seven because I would like that commemorative tea towel (laughs) I'm putting in my order immediately. (laughs) You have to get that for me. Sources say 107 
million pounds. Well, and, you know, um, what's also really fun is lots of people are taking the opportunity to have a party, so a royal wedding watching party. And I don't know if you remember when Kate and Wills, as we say, were married. It was, I think, back in, when was that? My, my son was in kindergarten, so, you know, it's been four years, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um it happened at like six in the morning west coast time right, right? like mm-hmm. i was mm-hmm. yes and here it will just be my saturday so oh my gosh i know yeah I know. so yeah. i i would like um some continual reporting from the field um i would love it if you were on site and you can give us the details mm. well um, i i hope i can buy a hat at the very least <laughs> at the very least <laughs> If you host a party, I mean, I I do want to know all about that. Yes. But Stefan, later in the year, there is another event happening, which again, worlds colliding, (laughs) and that's going to be on October 14th. Are you aware of what is happening on October 14th? I am aware. It's my wedding anniversary, but I don't believe... (laughs) Okay. I'm thinking you know I already know that date, so... Mm. And and indeed you should and you should celebrate. But let's hope the whole city won't be in on that particular one. No, what I am referring to is um, the Seattle Seahawks have released <laughs> their schedule, and on October fourteenth they will be playing in London. I was hoping for Wembley Court, but I, they're playing at I believe a stadium called Tottenham. Ta- Tottenham. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how to say. Yeah, that. Tottenham. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, so I thought to myself. Oh my gosh. So um, I can send you some Seahawks swag. I can send you some 12 shirts. But I think you are going to be obligated to perhaps introduce tailgating to the Londoners. Yes, it will be my (laughs) contributions to the 2018 food trend scene. (laughs) Yes. um, Although... As I started thinking of it, I immediately thought, wait a minute, she doesn't have a car. I have no car. And more to the point, they don't call it the, they call it the boot here. So I guess it would be a boot tail. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know what you'd call it. We have a whole year to plan and um, decide how we're going to celebrate this momentous event. Well, one can only hope they will also be manufacturing tea towels and cups and saucers to commemorate (laughs) this Historic. I'm historic quite, occasion. quite certain that the NFL will not miss any opportunity to market their logo on some commer- commemorative merchandise. So I do dearly love tailgate food, mm-hmm. Andrea. Mm-hmm. One thing that you may need to send me is some tortilla chips. Oh, uh, I like, you know, like tortillas for like nachos yeah. or like with a good queso, some salsa. <laughs> yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. It okay. may be necessary. Okay. We will figure it out. We okay. have time. I'm excited. Okay. We'll do some planning. Okay. Okay. So I'll have my hat for the royal wedding and then my <laughs> queso dip for the tailgate or boot gate and I'm going to be all set. So <laughs> You're all set. Your year's planned out. <gasps> what an exciting year. I'll tell you what. I know. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Well, speaking of something delicious to serve at either your royal wedding watching party or your tailgate for that matter, uh, we last week baked up a chocolate bunt cake from Taste of Home. This was a one bowl award winning chocolate cake to celebrate, of course, National Chocolate Cake Day. Uh, I've got all your usual suspects here in this cake, your flour, your sugar, your baking cocoa, baking soda, baking powder, Salt eggs, a cup of strong brewed coffee, a cup of buttermilk, some canola oil, vanilla, and dusting that lightly with confectioner sugar. This cake does uh, instruct to be baked in a fluted tube pan. Andrea and I, uh, last episode, um, 
both admitted we would likely be doing this in our bunt pants. Andrea, I'm dying to know, how did this one go for you? Um, oh dear. Well, oh no! This is, <laughs> no, 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 this no, is no. A, a tale of two, yeah, this is a tale of two bunts. And I, I thought about saying it was the best of times, it was the worst of times, but unfortunately there were no best of times. So oh, it's more no. like it was the worst of times, it was the slightly less worse of times. Um, I will take responsibility for one fail, but not for the second one. So um, for the first round of baking this cake, I knew I was going to an event that had about 12 women. I knew that uh, I think between three and four of them have celiac. And so I thought this is a perfect time to try some gluten-free baking. I have not ventured very much into gluten-free baking. And in fact, the only gluten-free baking I have done in the past has been with recipes that are what I would call naturally gluten-free. So for example, Mm -hmm. I made that Valencia orange cake back when we challenged each other to make a recipe from a cookbook we had never used. And it used almond flour in place of regular flour. So it wasn't a modification of the recipe to make it gluten-free. It just naturally was that way. But I spoke with my friend who bakes for his wife who has celiac, and he told me his best results have been substituting the Bob's Red Mill all-purpose baking flour, one-to-one with whatever all-purpose flour was in a recipe. Okay. So that was the change that I made. I did, um, you know, one and three-quarter cups of the Bob's Red Mill all-purpose gluten-free flour instead of the regular all-purpose flour. I whipped it up. It was very easy to whip up. It came together very quickly. And um, you know how you – most people, I don't know, I know I always taste the batter, <laughs> you know, as, uh, yes. okay, all right, I, right before I said that, <laughs> yes, I thought, oh my gosh, maybe this is just me, but I, you know, I tasted the batter, and I almost spit it out. What? It, it tasted like dirt to me. Oh. I can't explain it better than that. It just had a very earthy, dirty flavor, so um, I had decided to make this first round in my mini bunt and so I had sprayed them extremely well with my baker's joy that I love and I went ahead and poured this batter and the batter is very thin and the recipe says that it will be and just poured it into the mini bunt pan and um, as soon as I was done filling that one pan I poured the rest of the batter out I thought that something is wrong with this but I'm gonna go ahead and bake it and see how it turns out and so um, I went ahead and baked it I cut the baking time down by uh, about half because I was using the mini buns. Um, I still did, you know, poked it with a toothpick and did the crumb test. And I cut the temperature down by 25 degrees Fahrenheit, you know, again, because I was using the mini. But it baked up quite nicely. I got it out of the oven. I tasted it. It no longer had a strong dirt flavor. (laughs) But it still just tasted off to me. And I went and looked at the ingredients of the Bob's Red Mill flour. And the number one ingredient was garbanzo bean flour. And the number two or the number three was potato flour. And I just thought, I think there is something about that that just doesn't sit well with my palate. So I tossed those mini bunts into my compost bin. And a little while later, my daughter came home from school, and she saw the usual suspects out on the counter to know that I was baking. And she said, Mom, what are you making? And I said, well, I made some chocolate cake, but it didn't turn out. And she said, well, 
well, I want to at least try it. And I said, no, honey, it's it's just, it didn't taste very good. She goes, no, I want to try it. I said, well, it's right there in the compost bin. If you want to just grab one off the top, go for it. So she did. And can I tell you, I had to stop her after she'd had three. She loved it. Oh, my gosh. She loved it. And I was so baffled. I said, are you sure it tastes fine to you? Are you not tasting anything different? And she said, no, I think it's totally fine. I think it's great. She even looked at me at one point. She goes, mom. You're making me eat out of the trash. (laughs) I said, I'm not making you do anything. She said, oh, but it's so good. So meanwhile, I had decided to make the recipe again. Um, This time I cut it in half because I thought, well, if it doesn't turn out a second time, at least I won't have, you know, this big, huge cake to deal with. And instead of making it in the mini bun, I decided to make it in my tube pan. And so again, the only thing I did different in round two was I substituted just regular old all-purpose flour. Now this cake turned out well. I thought it was pretty. I thought it tasted fine, but literally that is the best I could say about it. I think overall I would just say I was a bit disappointed. I I almost felt like it was like a chocolate Twinkie. Yes, and I think that's down a little bit to the oil. You're using oil here mm. instead of butter, and I think that does affect the flavor and the texture a bit. I think that's part of what keeps it so very moist, definitely. Well, I'm so, yeah. so sorry. Yeah, so what was your experience? No, don't be sorry. It was a good experiment. I mean, um, I'm, I'm curious what, what you thought, and I'm curious how much of it was my mental headspace of knowing I used a gluten-free flour. I, I wish that before I dumped it in the trash, I had gotten some other people other than my daughter to do sort of a side-by-side taste test. Well, I have used garbanzo bean flour in the past, and I had exactly the same reaction. It just tasted like Mm. beans. And I like garbanzo beans. I just don't care for them uh, in my cake, I guess. And um, I used this recipe as written, and it was delicious. I Okay. It was very easy. Uh, it was very well received. In fact, it was gone. I was serving about five people, and it was gone. Everyone had <laughs> multiple helpings. Okay. Um, it was so um, – I understand what you're saying about kind of the the chocolate Twinkie. If I had to, to tell you what I thought this was like, it was like a homemade boxed mix cake in that it was so very easy. It was literally just putting everything in one bowl, mixing it together, and into the pan. And it had that very nice spongy consistency. It was really moist. I My number one issue going in is that I couldn't find Baker's Joy here in London. That's right. Were you able to find something to substitute or – Well, I had just some, uh, like a PAM, like a cooking spray. Mm -hmm. And so I just coated the heck out of my bent, put in the batter, crossed my fingers. You know, one thing we talked about back in episode two when we were talking about our original bunt, which is our pumpkin um, spice bunt, it's really important with a bunt cake especially to let that cool. It says, you know, cool, take out and cool on a rack for 10 minutes. And I think that's so important because it helps it detach from the sides and gravity does a little bit of work Mm -hmm. for you Mm -hmm. and then you can take it out. And I had absolutely no problems. My cake released beautifully. It, it was, it was lovely to look at. Uh, I thought this was just a really good kind of, you need a dessert fast. This is a very easy cake to whip up. You're not waiting for butter to soften, anything like that, because you're using the oil. That's a good point. Uh, It has the coffee and the buttermilk, which I think are really nice components in a chocolate cake. And it's in that bun. Mm -hmm. We've talked in the past about it. It's just a a pretty cake. You don't need to frost it because it's in the bun. It looked pretty with the powdered sugar on top. So I did think it looked pretty. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. I'm actually probably going to be filing this in like a tried and true 
too, actually. So we okay. had, yeah, spec- the spectrum here of, of the cake. I think I'm going to go back to it someday without the gluten-free experience fresh in my mind. I think it was kind of hard to shake shake that piece off. And, it is. And I'm glad you yeah. mentioned the box cake feeling because at the end of the day, what I thought to myself was, this tastes like the Duncan Hines moist chocolate cake mix. A <laughs> little bit. And I think that's down to the oil also. I mean. Yep. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. I think you're right. All right. Well, uh, listeners, let us know how that one worked for you. It was called the contest winning moist chocolate cake from Taste of Home. And we'll put that up on our uh, website, preheatedpodcast.com. And you can also look under the January 2017. Uh, oh, wait. It's what year is it, Andrea? <laughs> 2018 <laughs> tab on our Pinterest. I've only made that mistake about 100 times this month. So, yeah. Uh, Well, let's see. Uh, This is our bonus uh, episode, so we will be talking about some fun recipes for National Hot Chocolate Day, which, Andrea, I'm sure you know, is January 31st. But we're just going to be kind of chatting, not reviewing these. I, first of all, did not myself know that it was National Hot Chocolate Day in the U.S. on January 31st. (laughs) So what a great day to celebrate. That's a fun one, indeed. What are you going to be whipping up? Well, I have a question for you. Okay. All right. So if you do a Pinterest search, say, for hot chocolate, a lot of what returns is something called a frozen hot chocolate. Now, I believe, now correct me if if, if I'm wrong, I believe frozen hot chocolate is a chocolate milkshake. <laughs> that's a, yeah, that's We're a just calling it that point, now. I think. Yeah. I think you're right. And see, this is where I think regional differences come into play. And and this is very fresh in my mind because my niece from New Orleans was visiting us over the holidays. And for example, she made the comment to me that she gets an iced coffee every day and it would never occur to her to order a hot coffee. Okay. And so I think to myself, okay, so for people who live in a part of a country where a hot beverage really rarely sounds appetizing, but they still sort of want to participate in the spirit, you mm-hmm. know, it's like, oh, you know, you're watching TV shows and they're drinking hot cocoa, you're seeing, you know, commercials for Swiss Miss, you want to be part of that, but you don't want a hot beverage. So you're right, you make it a frozen hot cocoa, which in fact is just a chocolate milk shake all right all right that's what I kept reading the recipes and I I, I kept saying to myself I think they're making a chocolate milkshake <laughs> yeah I think you're right I they think were. you're right and then okay. it probably pops some marshmallows on top and they call it frozen hot chocolate oh yeah there's there's some really cute examples one um this made me made me think that one uh, kind of cultural uh difference that we've noticed here is oftentimes if we go someplace my son likes to order a chocolate milk and if in the states, that's just very prevalent. There's mm-hmm. you know, even at Starbucks, there's like the pre-made chocolate milk, or you know, you can order that quite easily. Here, uh, we have to order it as cold hot chocolate, oh. and then they get it and they make it. Oh, <laughs> so, interesting! I love yes. that. Yeah, so I guess that's the that's my frozen frozen hot chocolate twist on that. But um, one other thing, Andrea, I've seen that is you know the holidays have just passed, but Valentine's Day is coming up actually, and I think this would be a cute wintertime gift is to take some really good uh, maybe milk chocolate or a blend of bittersweet and milk chocolate and melt that down into a silicone ice cube tray and let it firm up a little and then stick a popsicle stick in. And then when that's firm, you pop it out of the silicone tray and you have 
a hot chocolate on a stick so you can wrap that up and then you would just instruct the recipient to put it in a mug of hot co- of hot milk and then stir it around. I don't, have you ever seen that? They're really cute. They look pretty easy to make. Well, I have seen it, and I actually purchased one and put it in some Christmas stockings. Uh, I got it from uh, your and my favorite, Trader Joe's, and <laughs> it was a spoon that had a marshmallow jammed on the bottom of it, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. the big size marshmallow. Oh, yeah. And then the marshmallow was dipped in the chocolate and had a good amount of chocolate on it so I you know I just thought it was such a cute idea like you would put the spoon into the hot milk and then just stir and the chocolate melts and then the marshmallow floats up to the top so yeah exactly well lots of ways uh, frozen uh, cold or traditionally hot to celebrate National Hot Chocolate Day on January 31st and so listeners if you have any fun ways post that on our Facebook community we would love to see it yes please now let's turn our attention to the nail-biting, tense moment we <laughs> approach at the end of every fifth mo- uh, month that has a fifth week in it, and that is our coveted blue ribbon. So for January, we have several desserts to choose from. Episode 59, our classic cream puffs from Martha Stewart. Episode 60, our peanut butter pie from Kevin and Amanda. Episode 61, the Earl Grey shortbread from Oleander and Palm. Or the contest-winning moist chocolate bunt cake from episode uh, today, <laughs> 61.5. Stefan, where is your blue ribbon going to go? This was a hard month, Andrea. We were celebrating National Baking Month, and, and I sometimes think months that have a variety of things, it's it's harder to compare them. Um, I especially loved two and it was the classic cream puffs and the london fog earl gray shortbread at the end of the day i am going to pin my blue ribbon on the classic cream puffs yes okay let's hear it what's yours I went down a similar path. I didn't feel it fair to judge the peanut butter pie because, as listeners may know, I ended up turning mine into a Biscoff cookie butter pie. I didn't have great results with the chocolate bunt, so that left me down to the classic cream puffs and the Earl Grey shortbread, both of which I dearly loved. And I went the opposite direction. I picked the London Fog Earl Grey shortbread. All right. And, you know, the reason I picked it over the cream puffs is – I don't just look at flavor and ease and, you know, presentation, all that stuff. One thing that I look at is my um, quickness in making it again. And I have already made that shortbread an additional two times. So it, I just find that it's something I keep reaching yes. for. It's very different. I've gotten good feedback from the people I've given it to. And it's fun and quick and easy to make. So I, that one is a, a blue ribbon for me. But I did love the cream puffs as well. I think that's a good choice. I did too. And my criteria also was how much my family enjoyed it and would I make it again for they're the number, you know, one people that I'm that I'm baking for. Right. And the Earl Grey were such a close second. Certainly in my, you know, go-to recipes now, I think they would make such a good gift. They were just so yes. delicious mm-hmm. and unusual. But practically my children didn't love them. They're kind of an adult flavored cookie. Yes. But the Correct. cream yeah. puffs were just devoured. Yeah. Yeah, and for sure. also I think the nice thing about the cream puff recipe is that it had the two components, and the pastry cream is actually something I might just make again when I need a pastry cream. Now I just have that good TNT recipe for pastry cream as well. So um, a great, a great month full of many tasty things. And it really was 
And one thing that's just cracking me up I wanted to add is I had posted on our Facebook group a picture of the profiteroles I had made with my leftover cream puffs. And I had asked our listeners what they did with leftovers. And oh my gosh, did you see the responses? (laughs) What leftovers? Yes. What leftovers? Apparently, I am a lunatic for assuming there will be leftovers. So thank you, preheaters, for giving me a good laugh. I really enjoyed seeing all of those responses. Well, Andrea, the timer's buzzed, and we've got to get this episode onto the cooling rack. Next week, we'll kick off our second annual pie school during National Pie Month. Join us for a fun month of everything pie. From the perfect crust to a scrumptious filling, both sweet and savory, we'll tackle it all, including a new-to-us British pastry. Remember to stop by our Facebook page and vote for our March theme listeners. We'd really love to know what you'd like to see us make up. And remember, you can find us and our featured recipes on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, and on Facebook and Pinterest. If you like our show, please tell a friend, subscribe on Google or Apple Podcasts, and consider taking a moment to rate and review us on those sites. It really does help others find us. Until next time, thanks for listening and sweet dreams. written, performed, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stefan Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions.